good morning. Uh, we're advertising real estate on the front row today. If you uh, need a seat still, we're, we're, uh, we've got some good, good prime real estate, and uh, you can throw things at me during the sermon, someone said. Good to see you. Uh, great to see you. As we uh, t- come to the final se- uh, sermon in a series, 10 weeks in the life of David, King David, uh, the shepherd king, the artist, the soldier, charismatic leader, Worshipper, husband, father, and really good friend, David, both holy and human. His story is honest about failure and success, failure and forgiveness, family complexity, and lasting legacy. We've spent 10 weeks throughout the summer with David. Now, if you haven't been here for uh, any or most of that, good news today, you get the Cliff Notes version. You get the, the summary of his life. We spent 10 weeks in the summer Uh, And so today, that series and the summer, in a lot of sense, uh, is ending. It's the end of summer. It's hard to believe. And uh, we will celebrate at the end of worship today uh, the blessing of the backpacks as we're going to bring our kids in here and pray over them and pray for all of you who are, if you're a student, we're going to ask you to stand. We're going to bless you as you start school. I'm going to bless all the people involved in school uh, and, um, and try to start the year off right. We'll also have Holy Communion today and want you to know that you're invited and welcome, uh, more than welcome, to come. Uh, So today uh, we do sum up the life of David, and we're going to pan out and look at his life in the scope of salvation history, in the the widest scope possible. You know, one of the ways to read the Bible is, maybe the most important way to read the Bible is through the lens of Jesus. And so instead of thinking about history, what we do is we pull out Jesus from history, and then we read everything through the lens of him. He's sort of in the middle of the Bible, and so what comes before and what comes after comes really in clarity through his life. And so today we're going to look at David through the lens of Jesus and then through our own lives and look for the lessons that we see about how God's kingdom works and how life works and how God works. And we're going to see it in David and Jesus and in us. And... Um, and we're going to do so uh, as we come to the scripture this morning, uh, looking at Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. And uh, in this scripture, you're going to hear a couple words that we hear uh, in, in the story of Jesus. Uh, we're going to hear about the house of David, and we're going to see the word kingdom. So I want you to look for those words as we read the scripture this morning from 2 Samuel 7, starting with verse 8. This is the prophet Nathan. Now then, tell my servant David... This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over all of Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home for their, of their own And no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since I have appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares that uh, to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
When I hear the word house there, it doesn't mean a physical house. We think, you know, like in, uh, in English uh, monarchy, you think the house of Windsor or the house of whatever. This is the house of, of David. It is, in our sense, a, real, a spiritual legacy that continues on uh, to this day. David was a thousand years before Christ, and now we're 2,000 years since Jesus, and we want to talk today about the spiritual legacy and the lessons that we learn from the life of David. And then the word kingdom is a word that Jesus himself used a lot and appropriates that to help us understand how, how God works and how we relate to God. And there is a spiritual legacy through David as well. Well, that carries to this day. So today I want to give you three lessons from the life of David. Now, this is a Cliff Notes version. This could be three sermons in itself, and I'm going to promise not to go that long. So it's going to, we're going to roll through this. And you might just take one thing away from the, the lessons that we've learned. If you've been here, maybe these, some of these things will sound familiar. Three lessons from the life of David. Number one, don't make decisions based on how things appear. This sounds so simple, but it is the most foundational and most important as we think about David's life. We see this in several key places in his life, and we see it from the very beginning in the opening story about David as he is being chosen king. The way he got into the role is through this lesson. As the prophet Samuel comes to pick out, to sort of find the king, and he comes to Bethlehem, and he comes to David's household, and all of David's brothers are passed before Samuel, and they're thinking, maybe it's this one, maybe it's this one, and they're trying to gauge how, how it's going to work, what God's going to do by outward appearance. And you may remember that they didn't even bring David in. He was out in the field because they had just made the assumption that he wouldn't be it. Did you hear the kids just now? Woo. So Samuel is looking for the tall, strong, electable type. This is, in fact, how they got to having a monarchy in the first place. The people said, we want a king that looks impressive like all the other people's kings. And God, in God's sort of mysterious ways, says, okay, well, we're going to do that. But then already begins to give them a different way of thinking, a different measuring stick. As they're parading all those brothers before Samuel, Samuel says to himself in 1 Samuel 16, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height. In fact, these exact qualities that had gotten them to looking for a king become the thing that they're going to not look for. Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Don't make decisions based on how things look from the outside. Now, this is more than just uh, don't judge a book by its cover. I think we know that idea. Don't judge a book by its cover. There's more to it than that, maybe. But I think God is saying something else here. It's a lesson that will define David's life and can define ours and all of life. The way things appear is not the fuller story. It will be easy to make your decisions, our decisions, based on the things that are right in front of us, the way things feel, the way things seem. And if we do, we will, we will be missing out on the fuller picture. In all of life, there is a way things appear, and then there is the way that God sees them. And unless we intentionally look for God's perspective, unless we learn to see as God sees, we will continually miss what's really going on. And we see the same lesson when David fights the, the giant Goliath, one of the great stories in the Bible. 
Goliath, whose name has come to symbolize the outward appearance, how things tend to look. He has got everybody fooled because he is so physically impressive. This is a big guy. And if David had seen the way everybody else saw, he would have lost the battle with Goliath. But David brought something different into the equation. He had learned the lesson. He had learned to take a deep breath and ask the deeper question, where is God in the midst of this? And where is the opportunity where it might look like there isn't one? And the opportunity becomes, Goliath's own strength becomes his weakness. He, he's big and he's, he's scary and he's got a lot of armor, but that makes him slow. And David saw the tactical opportunity that was there all along. And when you say it that way, well, he knows how to use a slingshot. He's a marksman. This is actually no contest at all. David is going to win every time. But what's amazing about the story of Goliath is that nobody else saw that opportunity. Think about it for a second. Nobody else saw the opportunity that David saw. What did he bring to that equation but the ability to see deeper than the surface? When we see with God's eyes, or you know, the way to say that is when we, we bring a different measuring stick to life, what we discover is some of the things that we thought were disadvantages actually aren't. Now, some of the things that we think are, 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 are maybe an advantage aren't as well. Some of the things that we think maybe get us further in life and have, give us the kind of life we're looking for turn out to not deliver on the promises. And and, and yet, some of the things that we think are going to be hindrances would cut us off, cause us to struggle, and, and, and make us lose our perspective. Those actually become a gateway into the very life that God offers. Now, this is a lesson that Jesus himself teaches in the very first teachings of the Bible in the words of Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount. The very first lead-off intro part of the Sermon on the Mount proves this point, that we shouldn't look at the outward appearance of things. We call those teachings the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for those are, theirs is the kingdom of, God, of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, which seems like a strange thing to say. But we don't judge things by the outward appearance of things. Blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted, and there's a path of grace through that process. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We think of David standing before Goliath, living out that lesson Jesus is telling us not to consider the outward appearance of things in life because God uses a different measuring stick. What we see as an advantage may not help us as much as we think. And the good news is the thing that we might really see as the great obstacle in our life becomes the pathway to peace, to the fullness of life. And, and yet, unless we're intentional, we'll naturally go through life looking at the outward appearance of things and we'll miss what's going on. This week, uh, The Atlantic um, addressed uh, something going on in American culture. Uh, it talked about why uh, so many Americans are leaving the church. And, you know, I tend to not wring my hands about that. I tend, and, and I tend not to try to motivate us by saying, oh my gosh, so many people are leaving the church and we need to kind of be anxious. I think, you know, that's, it's just something to be aware of. And we ought to be motivated by you know, what God's doing and, and, and looking, looking at it that way. And I, I tend to think, too, that, um, that the church and forms of community are always going to be changing and adapting, and people are always going to be spiritual, and there's always a way, way through that. But the Atlantic article addresses something I think that is really actually pretty important, and, and it talks about how the, uh, the American way of life doesn't actually set us up for success as much as we thought 
that it would. So in other words, it's saying we're, 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 we're really in kind of from a not like a, it's not a preacher, this is a, you know, it's a, it's a, a magazine article, is saying that, uh, that we're not getting the life that we're being sold. This is what it says. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality and care or common life. Rather, it's designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life or as one ages, the professional prospects of your children. And then this part. The problem in front of us is not that we have a healthy, sustainable society that doesn't have room for church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely and anxious and uncertain how to live in community with one another. Now that seems to be a descriptor of the, the context of the world in which we live. And so all the more, how more, much more important is it that there are people that say, no, these things matter. The, the God part of the equation, that we actually do need God and we do need each other. And real success in life isn't measured in the terms that we might think. David's life teaches us to judge success through a different measuring stick and to not be fooled by the outward appearance of things, not to be so overwhelmed by the outward appearance of things, but to continually ask, where is God leading through this? What is, what, what, what is God bringing to the equation? And from that place of peace and assurance, acting out of confidence that God's at work. Okay, I told you this was a summary sermon, so we could preach a whole sermon on that. We could, you know, have some time around there, but I want to move to the next point. And what we learn in the life of David is something equally as important. With God, the worst thing is never the last thing. As we think about our leaders especially, we, we tend to lump people into two categories, good or bad. And with our leaders, we like to put them up on a pedestal, and when they fail, we like to knock them off. And we like, we're sort of determined, in a sense, to judge people by the worst day of their life. But the Bible doesn't do that with David. It, 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 it does something very odd to us. It tells the full story. It's honest about the failure and the success. And then makes the determination that God can still work in that person's life. David is a complex person. Maybe you know some complex people. Maybe you is one. And that's good news. This is why we can, we can trust the Bible and the way it tells the story. It's reliable in the sense that it tells the story of its heroes. Think about it. The story of its greatest heroes. And it tells the full story. It tells the story of Bathsheba and David's abuse of a person and David's abuse of power. It tells of the cover-up. It tells how he sends Bathsheba's husband to be killed in battle. It tells the story of the confrontation Someone has, the, Nathan, the prophet Nathan, has the guts to go to the king and say, you're the one who did this. And then David has the decision to make. And it tells the story of David turning from that and rebounding from it. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we need to hear more stories like that. Not the one-dimensional stories of either you're good or you're bad, but the real story in which good and evil... It's the line between the two is, 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 between, is, is right down the middle of you. 
we like to think that there are good people and, and bad people, but when, it, when we you know, encounter our own lives, we discover that we all have the capacity to do great good and great evil. And when we tell the story that way, all the more we need God's guidance so that we, we take our lives by his grace in a different direction, that we do re- repent, turn from one life, and intentionally choose another and find the grace that we're going to need. The Bible is honest about this is what it means to be human. And, you know, every time I get disillusioned about people, and sometimes I get disillusioned about myself, and I don't know, maybe you never, maybe you never do that. Maybe you never get disillusioned and frustrated and kind of want to give up on people or give up on the idea that good things can happen in the world. Every time I want to give up on that, this is the, the, the mantra that goes through. It's sort of like God speaking to me. It's, it's, it's uh, well, but Jesus seemed to think we were worth it. And the story of David is a God who seems to think we're worth it. And then Christ, who came into the world, in, and you know, the, uh, the, in the, some of the first words of the story of Jesus, first names mentioned, it, it, David's in there, in the house and the line of David. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the city of David, where all of you know, this pl- takes place, where David's life begins as well. Jesus is born into the messiness and complexity, complexity of the world. And any time that I think that world is too messy or too complex, I remind myself of that story. There's something to Jesus being born into that honest story that helps me. What keeps me from giving up is that the Bible tells the story of its most beloved leader and the story of Jesus in such an honest way. Because it tells us of God's true intent and God's story. The worst thing is never the last thing. That we, We don't have to be defined by the worst day of our lives. And that is important. This, of course, is symbolized most clearly in the cross. The symbol that we keep at the center of our life. Because, uh, as, and even as we come to communion today, the bread and the cup remind us that God can and God will redeem things. This is what God does. Finally, third point. Uh, the, the lesson that we learn in the life of David that sums all of this up is this, and I worked on the language of this really like a lot, so I need you all to be impressed. Your affection determines your direction. In fact, I hope somebody is just doing something kind of like, you know, like not thinking about church, not thinking about, you know, the sermon, and just out of nowhere that, that phrase this week will just kind of like pop into your head and you'll be like, oh, I stuck it in there. Your affection determines your direction. I heard a sermon years ago um, from, from a pastor who was uh, thinking about um, kind of like uh, he was out, out running actually and thinking about something that somebody else had and he was, he was like really impressed and then he kind of like the word I think is covet. He wanted, you know, something that somebody else had in their yard and, and then God said to him, he just heard it very clearly, you don't have to acquire it to admire it. Now that'll stick with you and I hope this one will too. Your affection determines your direction because that's what we mean by David, when we say David was a man after God's own heart, what we mean is that the thing that ended up defining his life was a reliance on the, 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 the love of God, the sufficiency of God, God's loving kindness and faithfulness over time. That the thing that defines our lives and really sets the direction of them 
It's not so much what we do. What we do is defined by something even deeper, and what we do is defined by what we love. What we determine in the life of David that ethics matter and justice matters and what we do matters, but all of that has something much more foundational, and this is the foundation of how the world works. We will do what we love. And what we love will, will dictate the direction of our life. Tell me what you love, and I will tell you what you will do. And a story that is sometimes about willpower, let's just like do the right thing and by, the, by sheer will continue on. Or like a story, you know, sometimes we tell, tell the story that you, this is what you ought to do and these are the rules. The story of David tells us, no, no focus on what you love and rearrange your life around that. And everything else will begin to fall in line. David's name, in fact, is a unique name. No one in the Bible has that name up to the point in the scriptures. His name is based on the Hebrew word that means beloved. David's story is a story of living out of his belovedness. So did I just tell you that what we do doesn't matter? No. I'm telling, what I'm saying is, tell me what you love and it will determine what you do. And so that really we need to tend to our affections. And these things get displaced in us. They, it happened to David. It happens to us. We love things that we shouldn't love that don't bring life. The extreme case, we call that addiction, where our focus and our affection go to an unhealthy thing. We love things that we should not love that, that don't give us life. And we don't love the things that we should. This is the human condition and David's life is a reordering of life. The Psalms tell the story of getting to the point where the main affection of David's life, the living out of his life, is out of his belovedness. The defining aspect of David's life was, was God's hesed. This is what we saw last week as David's son Solomon is taking up David's legacy. And the thing he says about his dad, the most defining thing about his dad is that God was, was just so faithful over time. And we said, wouldn't it be uh, wonderful if that's what all of our kids said about us, the, the thing that they said at our funeral, the thing they wrote in our obituary, the thing that's most obvious to David's own son was that his life was defined by God's faithfulness. That word is hesed. We said that last week. Or God's longstanding love and faithfulness. God's determined goodness over time. And that same idea is in the most famous of all of David's psalms, Psalm 23. In fact, it's the summary statement of Psalm 23 and of David's own life and faith. David describing his relationship with God this way, Surely your goodness and your hesed, your loving kindness, we sometimes uh, translate that mercy, and that's another way to do it. But what it means is God's merciful love that just will not relent. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's legacy is this, above all else, he saw himself as one loved by God. And we see this even more clearly in Christ, the one who lived out of his belovedness. And uh, in, in David, in the 23rd Psalm, we, we hear 
a real sense of that's enough. That that's enough. That everything else can flow out of this. That we, when you get to the bottom of things, that's what you discover, that we are God's beloved. And, and the key is to go down to that level and then build everything else on that foundation. So we've spent 10 weeks in the life of David this summer, and now we're going to shift and we're going to spend nine weeks. If you liked 10 weeks with David, we're going to do nine weeks in the book of Colossians. Uh, So we're going to the New Testament, and uh, the New Testament book of Colossians is just maybe one of the most descriptive, most beautiful explanations of the sufficiency of Christ, of getting down to the, the base of things is God's love for us in Christ and then building on that. So I wanted to show you just a very short video that is a bit of a uh, indicator of what's to come as we prepare for that next series starting next week. Today, no matter where you are gathered or how many you're gathered with, you are still his church. He keeps no record of wrong. And his mercy is new every morning. The cross hasn't changed. It's still there for you and for me, no matter who you are or what you've done. And because he is here with us, we have everything we need today. We are still his church. We are still his church. We are still his church. Did you hear that line? Because he's here with us, we have everything we need. It reminds me of the opening lines of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Sometimes we translate it in those same words. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. So this is the shift we're making out of the life of David who embodies that and models it for us. We're going to keep digging deeper and wonder what it would be like to live out of that place of sufficiency in a world that maybe offers up a lot of anxiety. What does it mean to come to that foundation and build everything out of that assurance? Well, that's the next nine weeks. Because we have God's love, we have everything we need. And this is the story modeled in David's life. And what we see in David's life is every other affection uh, falls in line with that, and it determines the ultimate direction of his life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our hope as well. As we come to the story of Jesus in communion, we're going to find our lives in this greater story of salvation, and communion is our way to be invited into it, into the whole thing that we've just said. When it appears like the world is, is, is not... Um, it's falling apart, the way things look, we don't see where God is. Communion brings us to a story in which the body and broken body and blood of Christ becomes the very source of, of redemption. And communion invites us into a story in which the worst thing is never the last thing. And that spiritual claim in David's life is now your claim and my claim and our claim as well. And ultimately, it invites us to one great affection the great love of God that will stop at nothing is so determined to be with us. And so as we come to communion this morning, I want to invite us to the scripture one more time and uh, to put those words on the screen from Psalm 72. And I'm going to invite us to, to listen for what God might be saying to us in those words. 
and then we'll sing and we'll join in Holy Communion together. So one last time, um, as we come to the scripture and hear it again, as we soak in it, hear these words, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God.